I would like to welcome you all very warmly to this retreat at Kaya House. My name is Yanai and this is Helen and we're both very happy to be here to spend these four or five days with you on retreat and we'd like to take a little time this evening just to speak about the framework of the retreat and the practices we'll be engaging in together here over these days. We're quite aware that for some of you this is the first time that you're here at Guy House or in a situation like this and there can be quite a few things that are perhaps new or not particularly familiar in a situation coming to something like this for the first time and so an extra warm welcome to those of you for whom this is the first time and equally of course to those of you coming back and returning here and lovely to see both uh, many familiar faces and equally new faces here. So coming on retreat, coming to a place such as Guy House, it takes quite a sort of amount of organising, doesn't it? We have to sort quite a few things out mostly in order to leave, leave them behind and to have some space, to have some, in a way, clear time that we can give to what's important, that we can give to ourselves, that we can give to connecting with, taking care of and examining, or we could say exploring our body, our mind and our lives. And essentially this is what we'll be engaged in here over this retreat. To come on retreat is not so much to get away from one's life, but to to enter it more fully, more consciously, more deeply. And in support of that, of course, to leave our, or leave behind some of our more familiar activities, the things we commonly engage ourselves with, in order to have a, a more clear or open, or we could say empty space in which to engage, in which to explore what it means to be alive, what it means to be what we are, who we are. And so we we come, as you have all made your journeys, perhaps from somewhere not so far away, and from some of you, uh, for some of you travelling quite some distance across land and water to be here. And, And there's a sort of a a journeying that we undertake in a retreat, which is a not so much a journey in terms of distance or even of time, but in terms of an orientation towards what's immediate and what's real. That we can find ourselves, we easily, it seems to me, it's quite possible and certainly I've spent plenty of time in my own life, kind of with the orientation primarily external and towards the, the kind of the practical things of getting it together, making it work, looking after body and mind and you know, family and friends and whatever it is we might need to take care of in the world. And there's a, you know, an importance and a value in all of that. 
And there's equally and very specifically a value in putting all of that down and putting it away and seeing what happens if I just take an interest in meeting myself, my life, my experience. And to support that, we can come to a place like Gaia House where a lot of the the ordinary things aren't needed or required and a lot of other ordinary things are taken care of. So there's someone else who does the cooking and organising of how the things run. And it's really quite a blessing and a privilege. And it's offered as a, as a framework for discovery, for understanding. And so the, the teachings and the practices we'll be offering come from a range or, and two particular traditions, but we, both of us, Helen and myself, we've practiced in different ways and forms within meditation and within yoga and in other things as well. And so we'll be drawing on teachings coming from the Buddha, who was a remarkable human being who lived two and a half thousand years ago and who had a really deep interest in life and understanding what, what was true, what was meaningful, what could really contribute to well-being, to happiness, to peace and to freedom. And in his interest in understanding this deeply came to some remarkable and profound understanding which he shared with those of his friends, contemporaries and family who were interested to hear. And in that sharing began a really a, a stream of, of teaching, of sharing that's been passed from one living generation to another to be available to us here, to explore, to practice. And Helen will speak a bit about the yoga tradition which she's drawing primarily from. But the element that is also shared in, in the yoga, in the meditation, and we... We don't necessarily think of these things as so different, although they have different traditions and forms and structures they use, but they're, they're vehicles for exploring. And while they draw on a history and a, a lineage, we could say, of understanding, born of many years, of many people like ourselves, who've been interested to, to see, to look, to touch life more deeply. Equally, the teachings draw on the on the immediacy of our experience and can be referenced to the truth of our experience. So we're not going to be asking you to sign up to or believe in any kind of theoretical framework or model or belief system, but to, but to really just see what happens if you go along and just try out what we're offering and check it against your experience to see if it's useful, if it's beneficial. The teachings of the Buddha have, for me, been, since I encountered them 20-something years ago, very transformative, remarkable, amazing how much it seemed to me they spoke to my life, even though they'd been first spoken in a world and in a reality that seemed very different from my own. And yet, when one examines spiritual teachings carefully, we see that as human beings, we're probably not so different 
at the heart of it all. And our world isn't actually so different in its essential features now than it was two and a half thousand years ago or, or even beyond that. So there's a, it's like a common stream in human life, in the human heart, it seems to me, of interest to, to discover what's possible for us as human beings. To not be bound or completely confined in the process of simply taking care of what we need to get by in terms of homes and food and relationships and all of that, which we do need to take care of. But that there's more to what's possible for us and it's, it's not, not something that's out of our reach to know and to discover for ourselves. That just as people have been throughout all times and ages and places of this world, people like ourselves have been drawn to spend time in silence and solitude, engaging in meditation and yoga and spiritual practices and contemplations. That there's this common theme in human life of, of this potential we can fulfill or more deeply, more fully, more completely come to realize and live our lives in. That is expressed in many ways. We can talk about being happy, finding peace, understanding the, the depths of truth, of authenticity in life. And so we'll be together engaging in a way that can support that, to support our well-being at all levels. And I'll continue in a little while to speak about some of the frameworks of the retreat that we'll be using to support us in being here together. But at this time, I'll just pass over to Helen to speak. Yeah, similar welcome to you. Um, it's always one of the retreats I really look forward to here in Gaia House. Um, and I know some of you have been here before and... Don't expect it to be like last time. I'm glad you've come back. <laughs> but we are different each time we come on a retreat. So possibly what you experience this time will be different than what you experienced last time. Uh, I've just come back from a retreat with my yoga teacher. Um, his name, he's uh, from India. His name is Rajagopalan. Uh, and even every day was different. So one day my, my body was very much at ease and very comfortable and the next day I hardly could move because uh, I felt very deep tensions in the body and just even the slightest movement was quite painful. And that meant that each time your body will be moving differently. And that's one of the teachings I so much appreciate about him that when I met him 30, 36 years ago now, that he had such an ease around the yoga practice. And he invited us really to listen to our own bodies so that the instructions given uh, were always translated into our own bodies so that when you would have looked around in his class, everybody would have looked quite different because everybody is different. 
And he always encouraged us, and I thought that was such a relief to have the eyes closed so that you really could see and listen to your own body and not compare with other bodies. And it was such a relief just to be in contact with my own body and to sense how my body was talking to me. And each time I ignored the talking of my body, I I knew the next day there was some discomfort has happened. So I'm saying these things to put you at ease. And those of you who've come back, you know the way I'm teaching. And those who've never done yoga before, that's also good. Because then you don't have any ideas what yoga could be. So you, you will be in what we call a mind that is curious, or a beginner's mind, or this childlike interest. And I think it's more difficult when we have already some ideas how things should be. So for, for those of you who've practiced yoga for a long time or are yoga teachers, it might be a little bit harder on you. So I really have to ask you to be patient, possibly just for the days when we are here together, to leave any judgment behind and just engage in the practice. And I'm hoping that at least one thing will enrich the practice you're already engaging in. And as Jana said, uh, I think we, we are not keen to get you anywhere. It's, it's to find yourself. But my hope is in that yoga practice that you find one thing that will enrich what you're already doing. And the other thing I liked about my yoga teacher, he was so allowing that when we start early in the morning, he knew that people would fall asleep. And that was okay. And in fact, on this retreat, it was really hard on me because he was in Germany and we started at six, but it was English time, five o'clock. And then there was a time switch. So it was English time, four o'clock. And I was really, really tired, and I was falling asleep in between. Now, um, he always said, 36 years ago, he said, that's great, you will snore, and that keeps the others awake. (laughs) Uh, So the encouragement, knowing that you might have had a long day, a long week, uh, please come, come down, join us here. And if in between you fall asleep, as I said, there's nothing wrong about it. That's human nature. We try to stay awake, but sometimes first we fall asleep, then we regain energy, and then we can stay awake for longer. The instructions I give are very clear. But again, and again I learned that from him, he said when he says, lift your right leg, But you definitely don't want to lift your right leg. Leave it where it is. Override my instructions if your body does not want to do it. And if you're happy to lift your left leg instead of the right leg, then you can do that as well. Uh, So it is something to come back to a place of ease. And I think that was... uh, I had been with other teachers, but that's what I'm mostly experienced with them, to to come back to a place of ease, of enjoyment, of being happy. And that is so close to us, and somehow, with all the things we are doing, we are not yet there. And um, I thought, how should I set the tone 
for, for these days of just for tomorrow morning because we as a group will evolve together. So that's why each retreat is very new. Um, but I picked up one book. Um, I'm very privileged three years ago my husband lost his job and we moved into a community. And it's a lovely community and um, it has mellowed me. <laughs> Living together with other people can be quite challenging. Uh, and we have a lovely library. It is an ecumenical community with, uh, which engages in interface work. So there's people like yoga teachers, Buddhists, but mostly Christians living there. And I picked up one book and it is called, um, and I really liked it, Meditations on the Scent. And it is from a Christian monk who uh, goes into the desert to follow into the footsteps from the desert fathers. And I will just read you a small passage from there, and hopefully that will get you an idea where the yoga might possibly take you to, where I'm hoping that we can travel together to. At the threshold of the desert, the first word they said to me was, wait. Wait. You must wait. Your passport could be returned to you in ten seconds, perhaps, or in two hours, or in a day, or maybe tomorrow. Wait. In the desert, the most urgent thing is to wait. You get things done not by thumping and kicking, but by displaying a quality which is highly respected in the desert, the ability to wait. You enter another level of time where the hands of the clock are replaced by patience. Your organism has to adapt itself not merely to a different time scale, but to a different rhythm and to a different scale of values. And unless you adapt yourself, you run the risk of a nervous breakdown. I'm just saying that because those of you who have come before, they feel challenged by, how should I say, by the slowness of the movements. And, and so my hope is that you allow yourself to go into a different rhythm, to slow down, to be able to wait, so that in the postures, the postures itself can reveal something to you, which comes from deep within, and which is independent from the form in which you are. So you have to wait. If, on the other hand, you succeed in entering this new dimension of time, you will experience an unexpected calm, an unknown sense of freedom, and a surprising capacity for wonder. This is the secret of obtaining your entry visa into the desert. Wait. So, I will welcome you tomorrow morning. We start with a breathing practice, again, very simple as it has been taught to me 
by my teacher. You might not know some of the practices, but they are all very easy. So I see you tomorrow morning at 6.30. So part of what creating a retreat here together means for us is not just coming to this physical space and being in it together, but that we actually make this an intentional space, a space that we co-create. And there's some sort of primary foundations for the retreat environment or for the container that we co-create that I'd like to speak about at this point. And The first one to mention is that we'll be together in silence. Now, I'm trusting that you're all quite aware of that, arriving here. Um, I did once go to teach a retreat in Ireland at a lovely little centre in County Wicklow, and on arriving there, discovered that nobody had been told before the retreat it would be silent. And there was a, a moderate degree of consternation, shall we say, at the prospect of what was about to happen, but we, we got through it, all right. And... Uh, in that, that sense of silence, again, for some of you it might be something well-known and perhaps deeply loved and appreciated. For others, and maybe coming into silence for the first time in a retreat situation, it may be the thing that stands out as, oh my gosh, what's that going to be like? Or possibly it's the thing that our friends or family or workmates have said, there's no way you are going to be silent for five days. And so just to understand what the silence is about it's um sometimes for us silence can have an association with uh, having been bad and sort of being um punished or as a kind of way of expressing some form of hostility or aggression it can be that the associations we have with silence aren't always that appealing uh, and really the silence of a retreat such as this is a very different quality The silence is really simply born of an intention to engage primarily with one's own experience and process. That in our lives we can so easily be drawn into referencing and relating so much to others, to needing to sort of tell our stories about who we are and hear who they are and what's going on. and The way we often fill the space between us and the space around us with with words. To come into silence is to have an opportunity to really be by ourselves, to be in solitude, while having the support of a group. And silence is something which in spiritual traditions around the globe you find a a respect, a reverence and an engagement with it as as something that really conduces to a deepening connection with what is most important in our hearts and in our lives. And so the silence here is one where we consciously agree together to not engage in casual conversation with each other. It doesn't mean that there won't be any sound because there's going to be all sorts of sounds and it doesn't mean there won't be any speaking because certainly Helen and I will do quite a bit of that at times. 
And you will also have some opportunity to speak if you wish. And in fact, we'll invite you to uh, in the form of some sort of small group meetings that we'll have with you to talk about what's going on in your experience and reflect on that together. And if you need to sort something out with one of the coordinators or something like that, it's not that you're required to do so using sign language, of course. If you have to organise something, you can speak. But there's just a putting down of the, the speaking that we normally engage in. And turning inwards, turning towards the, the inner life of heart and mind and body. And we'll see that within that, of course, there'll be probably plenty of speaking going on in the form of our internal dialogues and conversations. But that the silence isn't something we impose out of a sort of rejection of speaking or the value of connecting in that way, because that can be wonderful and beautiful. But there's something we can discover in the silence that's not impossible to discover when we're talking, but it's a lot harder. And this is something that many, many people have found over the years to be really supportive. So a bit like getting into a hot bath. It might be a little bit, ooh, or a little ah, to begin with. Like we're not quite sure how to be comfortable or at ease. We tend to maybe tighten a little. But if you can just relax... If you can take it as an exploration to see what it's like for you. And it doesn't mean you have to pretend that there's nobody else here and you're just looking at your toes and, you know, maneuvering through the building, um, eyes downcast. Now, sometimes people feel that that's actually helpful for them as a way of staying connected with themselves. So that's perfectly fine. But it's equally okay if you're looking up and looking at whoever may be coming towards you. They may not be looking at you because they have permission to do what they're doing. And so mostly it's less complicated to um, just, in a way, meet as human beings who don't need to engage with each other. But if you happen to smile at someone and they smile back, well, that's okay. But if you smile at someone and they don't smile back, that's okay too in terms of what this offers. So we don't have to get into making sure that everybody likes us or that nobody's going to be upset that we didn't say good morning and smile at them. Because it would you know, involve quite a lot of that, really, wouldn't it, with 50-something of us in the space. And yet we can also become, in the silence, quite sensitive and attuned to each other just by the quality of connection we make with ourselves. has a remarkable way of opening out into revealing our connection with each other. So it requires a little self-discipline to refrain from the habitual, you know, comments, observations, greetings, things we might express with words. And if you've come with a friend, partner, someone you're close to, it requires just to, to make a, a clear intention together that when we finish this evening, you might need to say a goodbye or organise a, a practical thing as to who's got the car keys or whatever. But uh, apart from that, really just putting down the world of engagement in that way. It's important with that to also put down the, the world of telephones and tablets and 
pages and beepers and email and all of that way in which we stay in contact with not just people but information and language and we can be so immersed in that in our world it's so rare to have a genuinely empty quiet spacious moment because there's so many ways we can be engaging or interacting that even the the kind of accidental moments of quiet or silence or non-engagement are all too quickly disappearing from much of human experience, it seems. So if you've brought a phone, turn it off. Or your laptop or your tablet or whatever it might be. Turn it off. It's really important. You might think, oh, whoa, texting's pretty silent. But I can tell you it will have an effect on the process that will reduce and limit what you can get from it. The only way you can know this for yourself is by trying it out. So I have to ask you to take that on my word to begin with, but many of you here know exactly what I'm talking about. Just creating a boundary around the space that we're in, in which we don't need to reach out from it to anything else, and we don't need to respond to or take on where other people might reach towards us. It's actually quite fascinating to see and wonderful to realise that the world can get on without you. It really can. It'll still be there after five days, having done quite well. And it's great, because one day it's going to have to get on without us, you know, each of us. One day this world will have to get on without us for the rest of this world's existence. And so we just give a little practice by letting it get on with us for just a, get on without us for just a few days. And then at the end of the retreat, there'll be time again to speak and connect. But if you need to make a last phone call tonight to let friends or family know that they won't be hearing from you till Wednesday, it's good to do that so you don't have to be concerned. What will they think? Will they be worried? So you're taking care of them in that way. Together with the silence, we also ask that you refrain from engaging in kind of unnecessary extra activities, particularly in the realm of reading and writing. The whole world of words has a lot to offer us. Again, there's nothing negative about it, but there's something that we can discover in putting it all down and leaving ourselves just where we are, not needing to record our experience, not needing to sort of draw on all the things we could be reading, wonderful or spiritually profound as they might be, it's really the truth of our own experience from which we can learn the most. And it's really easy to to stay sadly distant from our own experience. It's not always easy to be close to our own experience. But it's always fruitful. It's always fruitful. So refraining from reading and writing and just not getting too busy in the free time and the spare time. And there will be quite a lot of structure in the day if you've seen the schedule already between um, different forms of the yoga and the meditation and the movement from one to another. But there will also be spaces you know, after the meal times and other places where one could go and do something, I guess, if one really wanted to. And the invitation, the encouragement is really to not do that. To let the space be as empty as it can be and see what comes in that for you. 
And so there's a certain just quieting of activity, of busyness, of speaking, of reading, of writing. And all that gives us a lot more space. So often we can feel in our lives a deep yearning for space, for not having so much going on, so not having so much coming in, not having so much we need to put out. And yet when we perhaps encounter the situation where that is what's in fact on offer, it's not always the easiest to begin with. So again, just take it gently. And yet be wholehearted in giving yourself to the situation. Together with the silence and the simplicity as a way of being here together, we also ask that you undertake, and everyone here who's here at Guy House undertakes what we call the five ethical guidelines or precepts in the Buddhist tradition, which are basically expressions of a very fundamental human understanding and reality that none of us wish to suffer, none of us wish to be hurt or harmed. And that if that's true, and it is true, we, we, we wish to be not treated or responded to in ways that are harmful for us, then of course it makes sense that we respond similarly to others, that we take care of, that we respect the life of others and the things and the circumstances of each other. As a way of being together, that's an essential foundation for, for a wholesome life and for, for spiritual practice to be truly meaningful. So the, the precepts express this intention of non-harming. And it's not like we have to somehow be perfect at it, but that that's our basic orientation as a foundation. And the first guideline or precept is to refrain from taking life or causing harm to any living beings. It's simple. It's not too complicated. It's probably in line with what our intentions are anyway. And yet also just to be aware if there are little creatures around who we sometimes don't give the same credit to as maybe our, our sort of friends and neighbours and fellow human beings. That all creatures feel their life as deeply precious to them as we feel our life precious to us. And to take care, to just respect the life that's around us. Whatever ways that might mean, including just taking a little care where we put our feet. or If we encounter some creatures in our space, and we might because it's pretty cold outside, so some of them try and come in, that we might realise that, yeah, okay, we can remove them if we need to, but to do it kindly and gently in a way in which they're taken care of. And the second precept is to refrain from taking things which aren't freely offered to us. Understanding how much suffering there can be if our things are mistreated or misappropriated. Likewise, respecting the things of others or those things that we sometimes treat a little differently if they belong to an institution, so they're not anybody's. And we might not always be as respectful of things in that way. And just seeing what that's like to just have that sense of respect for things, that we don't take what's not freely offered to us. And if we, there's something we need, we can ask for it. The third precept is to refrain from harmful expressions of sexuality, which in the context of this retreat is to refrain from any intentional sexual activity. There's something, again, without placing any judgment or rejection on the, um, the, the, the experience and the realm of sexuality as part of human life, and appropriately so, but that in the context of the retreat, allowing ourselves to be with ourselves and having a, 
a kind of a more simple engagement, that we're just here together as fellow human beings, that we're not looking at each other or imagining too much that we're being looked at through that lens of interest or not interest in sexual terms. And and so just just something very simple there. It doesn't mean that thoughts, feelings, energy may not arise, but that our intention is clear that we're not going to act on it. We just let it be if that's what happens. And the fourth precept is to refrain from harmful expressions of speech. Understanding the amount of suffering that can be caused by words born of anger or just not insensi- just insensitivity, that we that we have a sense of care in language and what we might say or when we might say something, and in the silence, of course, that takes care of most of that particular precept. But there'll be times when we're speaking, perhaps to one of the staff or in a group or something like that, and just seeing what feels true, what feels useful, what feels appropriate. It's also the case that, as I said, uh, the speech function, even when we're not speaking to each other, the speech function, or the verbal function, as we call it, goes on in the mind anyway, in the form of thought. And sometimes I find it useful just to reflect on, you know, how much of this is really true? How much do I know that these thoughts are really true? Or do they just what I think? And how much of it is really useful? Or is it just somehow what I'm familiar with doing? So without judging it in that way, but just bringing that lens, that reflection, sometimes can be useful. So that the realm of speech equally is, is framed in the sense of not wanting to cause harm. And the fifth precept and guideline is to refrain from the use of alcohol, drugs or intoxicants during the retreat that we might otherwise at times in our life use for sort of entertainment, recreation or just um, sort of adjusting our experience in ways that we might wish to be able to adjust it. There's something remarkable and mysterious about just this fact that we're here, that we're conscious, that we can know our experience at all. And so to not try and manipulate that experience but to really respect consciousness to not casually or sort of recreationally seek to adjust, distort or manipulate the experience. That doesn't mean that if there's medicine we're taking for our well-being of body or mind that we shouldn't continue doing so. And in fact, it's important to, to continue to take care of oneself in that way if that's what one is doing. But apart from that, we're just trusting in the, the way the experience comes to us here to see if we can learn from it as it is. And seeing that, you know, in our culture there's so much use of things to sort of, you know, get us going in the morning and slow us down at night and entertain us in the middle. And not just, you know, substances, but sometimes I even think, you know, television or these days the internet, it's like the ultimate intoxicant. You can just be sitting there and all this stuff and you slowly get into the sort sort of vacant or warm, fuzzy condition if you've absorbed enough of it. At least that's what happens to me. And it's kind of like, you know... Um, you start to realize, wow, um, it's sort of, it's not unpleasant, it's not entirely pleasant either, but it's not really present, it's not really here, it's not really alive. And we're interested in seeing what it is to be alive, what it is to be here, what it is to wake up in our life. And so this, these precepts of uh, refraining in this way from things that cause harm, understanding with 
intoxicants, alcohol, they can, drugs, they can often lead to carelessness or heedlessness that we later regret that causes harm and suffering. For some of this, us, this might be just a simple, light thing to let go of for a week or maybe even for our life. For some people, it's a challenge and a struggle. And that to be free of, of alcohol or drugs or intoxicants would be something that would truly transform their lives. And in fact, any of these precepts has the capacity in it to make a profound difference in one's life if one would live it. And in this world, likewise, imagine what it would be if human beings followed these guidelines, just most of the time. What a different world it would be. So we can actually make that world here together, and that's what we do. And being on a retreat, this is the world that we will be living in for these days. And the sense of that caring, of refraining from causing harm so far as we can, of allowing a sensitivity and a openness in the space by not being too busy with doing things, reading, writing. Allowing the silence to be pervasive, to run deep into our hearts. This is really the foundation for what we're doing here. And within that then the yoga, the meditation, the teachings that we'll be offering, they can, they can really soak in, they can really penetrate. And in that remarkable transformation is possible for us. We can see and know and understand things that really open our lives up, that free our hearts and that nourish the very core of our being. And this is what our interest is in this time here. So we've been sitting for a little while and we'd just like to take a little more time for a, a short meditation together and I'll just say a little bit about that in a moment. But at this point, it may be useful just to take a minute or two if you'd like to stand up, stretch, move. Please, if unless, you're, unless it's something of an emergency, if you just stay with us here, we'll be finished in really just a few minutes. Um, if anyone desperately has to go, well, of course, you have to do what you have to do, but... We'll begin again with just a little meditation in just a couple of minutes. So just stretching, seeing what your body might need to bend, to move, to breathe. If you want to get up and wave your arms about or do something that somewhere else might look a little silly, you're very welcome to. It's, uh, it's listening to your body. done what you feel like you need to do and you don't have to rush but when you've done just find your way back down to your sitting position 
And we'll be giving fuller and further instructions with regard to the meditation, the seated meditation practice in the mornings after breakfast. But just for now, I'll give some brief and simple guidance, beginning by just allowing your body to settle, feel what it's like to be sitting on the chair or the bench or the cushion, just as you are the weight of your body pressing into the firmness of what it rests upon. Just however that does, however that is for you. And then just letting the body be upright. Just noticing what it is to give a little attention to that sense of vertical upright extension. As the body rises up from the ground, it extends into the sky certain intentionality, engagement, vitality. And then allowing your body to just softly relax around the upright quality so that we're not needing to hold on to places that don't really need to be holding right now. You may notice some tension around the face, eyes, jaw, cheeks or the temples, the mouth. And just by being aware of it, inviting it to begin to soften and release so far as it can, but not trying to force anything to happen. Likewise, just sensing into the area around the neck and the shoulders. And so far as there's tension there, just again allowing it to release, to soften. So the shoulders can begin to drop and the chest can be open, the belly soft. And the breath allowed to flow just naturally, easily, just as it does in your body. And allowing yourself to make contact with this experience of sitting here, this body sitting here, breathing in and breathing out. Not trying to have any particular kind of experience, but just getting to know how it is for you to be sitting here breathing. If you can't feel the breath moving in your body at all, You may find it helpful to just place the soft, open palm of your hand against the upper abdomen or lower chest and just feeling how that allows you to sense the movement in your body as you breathe in and as you breathe out. If that's useful, you can employ that. It's not required. And so just for now settling into this experience, body sitting here, breathing in, breathing out, accompanying the breathing experience with your attention. And if you find yourself drawn 
to some other experience, acknowledging that this happens and simply reconnecting with the felt experience of your body breathing. (coughs) Noticing what it's like for you right now. As your body breathes in, and as your body breathes out. And just beginning again, coming back and reconnecting again when you notice your attention drawn away to something else. Not trying to stop the attention from moving, because the attention moves, but noticing when it moves and returning, reconnecting, coming back.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.